When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. If you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com stuff right now and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code stuff and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me is part of your cabin crew is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Filling the whole thing out is our pilot, Jerry Rowland. Captain Jairs, as we'll call her from now on. If you'd like to return your seat to its full upright position, but along with your tray table. If you've lost your device or phone in the seat, don't touch it. Just come get one of us. Did that happen to you? It's a new thing. What? Tell me. Uh, no, it's like a new thing on, on Delta and like the safety instructions. They actually take a little time to say, if you've lost your tablet or phone in your seat, don't adjust it. Come get a flight attendant. What do you mean lost in the seat? What do they mean? Like if you have, if you're sitting there and you got the butterfingers and uh-huh. you know, like you turn into Jerry Lewis all of a sudden yeah. and your phone slides <laughs> down into the seat beside you or in between the seat next to you. Okay. Your phone is in grave danger if you... Adjust your seat back upright again. Oh, like they say, get a flight attendant because they now have additional skills in their repertoire to get your tablet or phone out safely. So at some point, a memo went out to these airlines that said, "We're breaking cell phones because people are like, well, maybe if I just throw my seat up, it'll pop out. Sure, it'll <laughs> shoot right out. Like I like I pressed rewind on life. Weird. Anyway, this is stuff you should know." The uh, I thought this was pretty interesting, actually, and it sure. gave me even more of an appreciation for flight attendants yes. than I had already gained over my years. Yeah, because if you're one of those putzes who's mean to flight attendants, you get off the plane. You're a jerk. Yep. Shouldn't be mean to people anyway. Like everybody's yeah. walking around carrying their own burden that you're totally unaware of. Mm-hmm. And if you're mean to somebody, it usually is because you're not getting what you want right then. Yeah. So if everybody can just calm down and be nice to each other, mm-hmm. that's great. But be extra nice to the flight attendants. And if you don't agree with me now, I guarantee you'll agree with us at the end of the podcast. And even in our own article here, there was a uh, interview with a flight attendant. A couple of them. A couple of them. But one of them, very, you know, one of these vets said, mm-hmm. eh, you know, back in the day, everyone was all excited when they flew. Yeah. So they were going someplace fun. Now everyone's crabby. Yeah, but she makes a really I'm great point. Why? She says it's because this is all post 9-11, that the added layers of security that they've put onto getting from your car onto the plane uh, increases stress so much that you're exhausted by the time you get onto the plane. And f- flying has become a, a chore, a task. Plus, yeah, I don't buy it. the seats have gotten way smaller 
I do buy that. The legroom's gotten smaller. Um, and yeah, I think that it's just kind of become more of like a let's get from point A to point B. Yeah, I taking your shoes off, taking your laptop out, it's about all the extra security. No big deal. That's did what I, I say. Did I tell you I've gotten kind of on board your train about taking your shoes off on a flight? Oh, to not do it? Yeah. Good. So every <laughs> once in a while, I'll just be like, to hell with that. I don't care. Uh-huh. I'm taking my shoes off. I know my feet don't stink. Right. But I understand that there's people like you out there who are deeply offended by that kind of thing. <laughs> so I typically do leave them on unless my dogs are just yapping so so loud. I can't. Yeah. I can't ignore it. But it's pretty rare these days. I think my deal with that is... is uh, you can't count on everyone's feet to not stink. Right. And I think plenty of people are like, I don't care. That their feet stink? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty rotten. I just want to be comfy. That's pretty rotten. But um, We live in something called society. <laughs> there are rules. Uh, but getting back to the, the new regulations, which is pretty much laptop out, shoes off. I mean, you still had to go through the line just like before, you know? Yeah, it seems – it feels different to me. Yeah. It does. Different as in more time consuming? Yeah, much more stressful. Like it's not a it's not an event like it was. It definitely used to be an event in a person's life to go on an airplane. Well, do you have a different feeling when you go on vacation compared to work travel? As far as the airport goes? Yeah, and how no. you feel about it. Zero. Same. Yep. Same stress? Yes. Uh well, a lot a lot of it, to be fair, uh-huh. is in my head. Yeah. To me, Pretty much the worst thing that can happen to you is missing your airplane. <laughs> I can't. I don't even want to imagine what happens when you miss your airplane. Yeah. Yumi's like, it's not that bad. Sure. As a matter of fact, she's kind of entertained, like purposefully making us miss. Oh, your a, own a version airplane. of uh, cognitive behavioral Exposure therapy. Exposure <laughs> therapy, right? Um, but I, I don't want to miss it, so I, I generate my own stress in a large part. But it does seem like much more of a process than it was before. Okay. How about you? You're fine with it? Yeah, I mean, it's no big deal. It's just shoes and a laptop. Yeah. Two bits. But it, <laughs> but it does seem like, um, and I read this travel and leisure article about flight attendants mm-hmm. um, where, where the author was saying, or I think she was quoting a, a flight attendant who was saying, like, we've all kind of decided as a group that we're fine with just getting on an airplane and getting to where we're going. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be this luxury experience. Right. And as a result, the price of an airline ticket has come down dramatically has compared it? to the golden age of flying. Oh, yes. yeah. But then it has gone back up since mm-hmm. it was pretty cheap. Yeah. But relative to, say, average income, it's, I think, much less than it was in, say, like the 60s. Right. But in the 60s, they were cutting like um, like like cuts of meat on a on a cart in front of you. I'm not kidding. There was a carving station that they would move. I'm not kidding. I've seen no, pictures of it. I believe it. I think it's funny that that's the definition of fancy is a carving station. It really is. <laughs> I mean, it is. The guy had the hat and everything. Yeah. Well, you and my extended family agree on that. But it's true. <laughs> and all of us take our shoes off while we eat our carved meat. But there, there used to be that. There were like piano lounges in first class lounge. Like there yeah. were, it was like, it was a, a, an event to, sure. to do it. But the the fact that it's gone is because we've all said, no, we, wa- we want to be able to travel for less cost right? W- with fewer frills. Yeah, I just kind of want to get there. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. If that's what you think. Or I'm with the airline industry. Yeah, just, I, just put I me on the plane and give me there. Maybe throw a whiskey down my throat. Sure. And that's about all. There you go. <laughs>
Banana, maybe. Yeah. If it's the morning. But the people who are going to help you get there, banana and whiskey? <laughs> uh, Yeah, sure. Okay. The people who are going to help you get there, they have um, – their job has changed over time, but they have not because they are unsung heroes and have been from beginning to end. That's right. The early days of plane travel, they hired uh, young men to take care of the – Stewardship of the plane. Cabin boys. Yeah. Cabin boy. That Chris Elliott movie? (laughs) Yeah. I think that was a boat cabin, but still. Sure. Still a cabin boy. Yeah. Um, and that was just sort of the thing. And then this, this woman came along and you dug this up. It's really great. Her name was Ellen Church in the 1930s, uh, in 1930, in fact. And she was a nurse and a licensed pilot. So she had it going on. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know what? Um, I have an idea. Uh, Boeing Air Transport, who would become United Airlines. Why don't you hire eight women to to take care of you on your flight mm-hmm. for three months and just see how that goes? And it went great. And they said, I think we're on to something here. Yeah. She actually um, pitched the idea because at first the, the execs were like, no, that's a stupid idea. We don't, this is no place for women. Yeah. Um, and she said, well, get this. How is a man going to say that he can't fly because he's afraid of flying if he knows there's a woman up there flying around? Mm-hmm. And they're like, actually, that's pretty good psychology. So they took her up on it, and it became yeah a thing from that moment on. <laughs> but before her, I have to say, if we're talking gender nonspecific flight attendants, yes. a man had her beat by 18 years, a German man named Heinrich Kubis, who was the world's first flight attendant and he worked Zeppelins, including the Graf Zeppelin and the Hindenburg. Really? Yeah. Did he die on the Hindenburg? No, he lived. Oh, wow. Very few people died on the Hindenburg. I think they were mostly on the ground, remember? Eh, I don't remember. Because the, the hydrogen burned up. Uh-huh. And the people who died were ones who jumped. That's what it was. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Did we do a show on that? We've talked about it before. Yeah? Yeah, on one of our many, many, many short-lived video series. Oh, right. Of course. <laughs> so uh, at any rate, Ellen Church changed the face of the flight attendant industry. And then in the in the 60s and 70s, of course, it was sort of a uh, – and this is not me talking here. This is in the article. It was the sexy stewardess phase of airline travel. Yeah. And that was definitely the deal that you had – uh, weight limits and height limits. You had to look a certain way and, um, they put you in the, just the right outfit and it was all about sort of, hey, get up there and look good and serve drinks. So, and they were, they were like those limits you talk about. Yeah. Technically they're still around. There are weight limits and height limits, but they're restricted to, you can't be so short that you can't reach the overhead bins. Yeah, they're all practical limits. Right. You can't be so tall that you're just bumping your head all over the place. Yeah. Um, you have to be of the of an adequate size to fit into a jump seat that the, the flight attendants sit in. Yeah. But that's it. Back then it was you have to weigh like no more than 120 pounds. You have to be this height. And it had everything to do with looks and attractiveness. Yeah, and you're 32, so you're fired. Yeah, that was a thing. Like very early on, I think in the fifties, I think in the nineteen fifties, they they started airlines started instituting age restrictions where once you got to age thirty two, you were no longer eligible to be a flight attendant. You might have a job down on the ground, but you couldn't be a flight attendant anymore because you were too old, according to them. Um, plus, also you couldn't be married or have kids. Right. Yeah. Very restrictive back in the day. Also, 
maybe the most sexist industry that's ever existed. And of course, that's uh, airline dependent. It's not like there was a federal regulation. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, so it all depended. But um, you need a high school diploma at the very least these days. But it, they're very competitive jobs to get. Um, gone are the days where you can just waltz in there with a headshot and get a job as a flight attendant. A lot of people want these gigs. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a college degree, then you definitely have a, a leg up these days. Definitely. But it's always been pretty competitive. Supposedly in 2006, Delta announced that they had a thousand openings and got like a hundred thousand applications. Yeah. But it's always been like really competitive because from the beginning it was viewed as like really glamorous. In the beginning. In the beginning, for (laughs) sure. I don't know about from the beginning. So, um, because it's been a really competitive, um, uh, career, Chuck, and because the airlines were run by like men who were decided that they owned their their flight attendants mm-hmm. because they ran the airlines. There was in that '60s, the swinging '60s era uh, of that sexy stewardess thing you were talking about. Like they were a major draw for airlines, sure, and the airlines like advertised them as such. So I've got I found something. This is in that um, travel and leisure. Um, article I found. You ready for this? I am. This is going to knock your socks off. I purposefully didn't send this to you because you wanted my socks I to wanted be on the floor. Your, yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> National Airlines in the 60s had an advertisement where they had flight attendants, Debbie, Cheryl, and Karen, and they cooed fly me. They also had an alternate slogan. I'm going to fly you like you've never been flown before. And these are print ads? Yeah. Okay. Um, Continental, uh, well, Continental's is lame. Braniff had one. Their advertising said, does your wife know you're flying with us? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pacific Southwest said, you want an aisle seat because all of our flight attendants have mini skirts and sometimes they drop stuff, yeah. basically. And then get this. Eastern Airlines gave out little black books to their male passengers oh, wow. so they could get the numbers of the stewardesses, <laughs> the flight attendants at the time. And then Qantas had a slogan, uh, ever seen a tickle fight? Crazy. <laughs> You're right. Yes. That, that's basically the sentiment behind it. Um, and so you've got the, av- the airlines advertising this, and then the flight attendants' unions are fighting this stuff tooth and nail to, to be treated in a dignified manner and yeah. not, not be fired because you weigh 122 pounds. Right. Which, yeah, it's just crazy. This is like, this is the way that it was back then. Yeah. yeah you show up for work and it's like, hey, honey, get on the scale. And when's your birthday again? Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. You kind of went to a Bill Clinton there. It sounded a little Bill Clinton-y. <laughs> I thought it sounded like W. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's take a break then and work on our presidential accents. And uh, we'll come back and talk about post-9-11 flying. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. 
Hey everybody, if you're building a deck at work and you want to supercharge it, check out Canva presentations. Work docs have been the same for too long, but Canva docs are different. They're visual. They grab readers' attention with images, charts, tables, and videos playable right in the doc. Plus, docs don't have to be just words on a page. You can make your docs pop with Canva docs. That's right. And Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, HR, ops, marketing, and more, Canva presentations can be the solution for you. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Canva presentations might be the most visually impressive presentations you'll ever use. Start with a stunning template, use it as a springboard for your design, adding images, graphics, charts, data visualizations, all from a massive media library. It's super easy to wow any audience with Canva presentations. So start designing today at canva.com, designed for work. That's C-A-N-V-A dot com. All right, so we did mention that after 9-11, things, of course, did change. Uh, and things changed in a big way for flight attendants. They, um, Not that they never trained on safety, but I think the training got way more intense. Yeah, did you see that one I sent you? Yeah. From, I think, the Points Guys website. Yeah, we, we should go over that now, actually. So uh, he has a, a flight attendant insider who like writes quite a bit for his site. Uh, I, I don't remember her name, but just look up the points guy, flight attendant insider. Mm-hmm. And, um, she just, she goes into great detail about what it's like to go through training and it is more intense than I realized it was for sure. Yeah. They, um, and this depends on the airlines, but they sort of give averages. The average training is, uh, seven weeks, but they can be as long as 12 weeks. We're talking six days a week, 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And they call it Barbie boot camp because you don't show up in your <clears throat> sweats and tank top. With no makeup. Right. It's not like you're a passenger. No. Yeah, exactly. Your big fuzzy slippers right. and your pillow from home. Uh, no, you show up as if you are there to work a flight. So you have to be in whatever attire that they require you to be in. Right. And have your hair done however you would do it and just basically be uh, game day ready. And then they they work you that many hours a day because that's about how many hours a day you're going to be working yeah, when as you- a flight attendant. When you start working, uh, at first you have very little control over your own schedule. Um, I, although I get the impression you have flexibility out of the gate, but if you say, I want to work this many days a month, that's the input you have at first until you start to develop seniority. So yeah, they expose you to that. Yeah. Six days a week, 12 hours a day, um, during training. For many weeks. So, um, the first thing they do is learn all the safety equipment. They're given written tests. <clears throat> That she said that they had to score at least a 90 on. 80. I said that really weird, didn't I? Yeah. Well, she said if it was an 80, they had to retake it. So they had to score at least a 90 to, to pass. I gotcha. And then, uh, practical exams where you had to score 100% on these practical tests. And that basically means you were on a fake plane doing the thing. And it's not like you're serving that Diet Coke wrong. It's all, it's mainly 90% of this training. 95% of this training. Yeah, that's what she said. Is, uh, equipment, safety, all that stuff. Right. Like the first stuff where they're giving you these tests that you have to score high on uh, is 
here's here's all of the stuff you need to know about the equipment. And then there's the drills where you're showing that you know how to use it in these simulated emergencies, right? Yeah, you know, like smoke's pouring in a cabin. What yeah. do you do? Did you see that one picture of um, Emirates Airlines? It's like the big – I did not. Like a third of an Emirates plane, basically the, the main cabin. Yeah. With the slide out going into a pool inside like an, a, a hangar. Uh-huh. And you're like, oh, they're going to have to go down that slide. Yeah, that's not – There's no fun. way they're not going down that slide <laughs> in high heels and everything too. Um, but they're running these drills and apparently this is a big um, – this is where most people wash out, she said, was, yeah. was during the drills because it's so stressful. And, and also um, she, she points out that because this job always has been and, and still is so competitive that the airlines can choose to be super picky. So they will drop you from this, these training programs yeah. pretty, pretty easily and quickly because they know that they're, they're, they can find somebody else who could do it better, right? Yeah, so you end up with the cream of the crop in the end. Exactly. That's a really good way to put it. And then she says that really the last thing they learn and the stuff that they spend the least amount of time on is the actual customer service stuff, like pushing the beverage cart. Right. Where they know exactly what to do during – if sudden turbulence hits yeah. and there's a beverage cart, they they are taught less how to pour that Diet Coke or whatever. I think like – I think I could do that. The pouring the stuff? Just I would get so stressed out. The whole thing. Like, I've seen it enough now. We travel enough for work uh-huh. where if, like, a flight attendant was like, oh, my ankle, <laughs> I, I could throw on the vest and run beverage service. You'd be like, step aside. I've got this. Like, I know exactly how to, how they're doing it. I'm paying attention. Would you splint the person's ankle first and then take over beverage service? I would splint the ankle, and then I would get up. Do you want peanuts, pretzels, or a Biscoff cookie? Yep. Do you, what kind of drink you want? Can't serve peanuts anymore. Yep. Eh. Sure you can. I You're had peanuts the out. other day. What? Yeah. You had peanuts mm-hmm. on a flight. Yeah. I think they, they don't serve peanuts if someone's allergic, but I don't think they banned peanuts. I, it they? was my impression they have just stopped. I've been on so many flights yeah. where they're like, well, you, we've got peanuts, but you can't have them because 13E <laughs> is allergic. And everybody's like, oh. Now they have almonds. Yeah, they did have almonds on a Delta flight the other day. That yeah. was on. They're delicious. You had peanuts on a flight. That's like a, a coelacanth. <laughs> and then uh I'm a I'm a sucker for those delta cookies though. Are you I have um I have uh desensitized to them. I yeah. actually just do pretzels now. Those Biscoff cookies? Mm-hmm. I used to be a junkie for them. I like them. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just a little was a it little, cinnamon? A little treat in the air. A little shortbread something or other. It's like a gingerbread <laughs> kind gingerbread. of but it's called speculose. Ew. Which is the worst name for a dessert treat on on the planet? It says that on the package. Speculus. It's like, uh, yeah, that's the original Dutch name for that. Interesting. I'll tell you where the money is, Chuck. Where's that? I don't remember what airline it is, but they have this Dutch treat. It's uh, it's two thin, very sweet waffle cookies mm-hmm. with a caramel, like inside. Yeah. Right. Car- caramel sandwich. And they say, take this thing and put it over your hot coffee mm-hmm. and let the steam from the coffee warm it up. Mm-hmm. And brother, you were on cloud nine. Who tells you that? The flight attendant? The package. Oh, okay. The flight attendant doesn't tell you that. Right. They just go, here, read this package. That sounds like some fancy uh, international type of flying. I know. It was domestic. Was I it? think it was Midwestern, though. There's a lot of... um European immigrants from the 19th century. Right. So that would <laughs> exerting their that. influence. Yeah. In all the best foodie ways. Yeah. Um, we got sidetracked there. Where were we? Well, we were talking about how difficult the um, training actually is. Yeah. And that's sort of the long and short mm-hmm. of it. I mean, uh, 
it's long, it's sort of grueling, and at the very end is when you learn just the – she said that you learn the – that 5% of time you spend is what you end up doing 99% of the time. Right. But you just have to be so prepared for that 1% yeah. in case something goes wrong. You can just react on instinct. Well, what's what made me feel really good was that she said the flight attendants you were flying with are so well trained, and they also have to go back for annual training every year yeah. to learn like new stuff that the airlines have figured out, mm-hmm. learn new procedures, whatever. Um, and you know, anytime say like an airline deploys a new um, jet in its fleet, yeah, they got to go figure that out mm-hmm. because the safety stuff's in different places, and they need to know this stuff, oh, yeah. and they need to be able to remember it and act on it during an emergency. So. I guess I didn't really realize this, but any flight attendant on a commercial aircraft that you're flying is capable of saving your life should an emergency arise. Yeah, I mean, they talk about they even go through like baby birthing training. Right. So the next time you want to yell at them because Uh they're saying the overhead space is full. Yeah. Remember that that person can save your life if this plane starts to go down or or lands in the water or something. And it's not their fault the overhead space is full. It's it's all the people who put their bag up and then walk to the back of the plane. Are you talking about the worst people on earth? The worst people <laughs> on earth. And they took their shoes off as they were walking back. Oh, man. Why did people do that? I don't know. But I was on a flight the other day, and I've never seen overhead space more screwed up by just a handful of people who mm-hmm. did that. It was crazy. Like, toward the end, people who were sitting in, like, the first, you know, five rows after after uh, first class. Uh-huh. We're having to go to the back of the plane, and you're just like watching them, like, "Oh man, you poor person!" As you're as you're walking off the plane, and they're just sitting there waiting to get their bag. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I think when they started charging for bags, um, that's when everything went berserk, because nobody wants to check their bag mm. except me. I don't mind now. Yeah, it's crazy to me. Yeah, I've never lost a bag, so I don't mind. I don't have to sweat it. I mean, this is a if I'm just going on a work trip, I don't even have my uh, roller bag anymore. I have my – and I'll buzz market them all day. My Red Ox. T- oh, really? Yeah, my Red Ox shoulder bag. Yeah. Uh, the thing is great and I can fit everything in there. But if I'm going on like a vacation and I know you think it's heresy, but I will check that bag and relax hey, my day away. I'm not trying to yuck your yum here. Yeah. If you want to check your bag, that's fine. Or to gate me- check it. That's the good deal because you don't have to pay there. Okay, I have no problem with gate checking it at the plane so it's just stowed in yeah. a handy manner so you just walk off and they hand it to you. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But there are very few things that you can do that is a bigger waste of time than standing around waiting for your bag to make it to the bag carousel. I yeah. hate doing that, especially when you're ready for vacation to start. Yeah, I don't mind because most airports, my bag's cruising around that thing by the time I get to baggage. Oh, yeah? Yeah, for me. Okay. And that's just because I, uh, I don't know. I don't like having to mess with fighting a, a bag, a suitcase on a plane. Yeah. I don't like contributing to that whole process. Sure. Much less being a business traveler. Like you see those dudes that have the, the roller bag with the big bag on top of that mm-hmm. and then a backpack. Mm-hmm. You're like, dude, that's like, you've got that's three. three pieces of luggage. Yep. Need to merge them. All right, but this is not about just us complaining about traveling. No, all the flight attendants are like, get back to the flight attendants. Get back to us. Uh, so customer service, it is the goal of the flight attendant to keep you happy as possible. Um, 
but also, you know, they don't have to indulge you once you have passed the point of sobriety right. or just jerkness. Um, they don't deal with that stuff anymore. Like they will stop boarding the plane if you are drunk before you get on and have you escorted off. It's it's serious business now. Yep. You shouldn't get on a plane if you're loaded. No. Time was they would get you loaded on the plane. Right. Now they yeah, they don't they don't mess with that. But they're, they're long days, so like we said, 12-hour days. They are if you're uh if you're new like you said earlier, they don't have a ton of control over their schedule. So you're going to be working a lot of weekends. Everybody's going to be working some weekends. You're going to be doing overnight trips. Mm-hmm. Uh spending the night in in cities and that can Sometimes it'd be fun if you put a positive spin on it. Sure. Uh, or it can be a big drag. Yeah. But one thing that I have seen across the board from all the sources I hit for this was that you, it's up to you how much or how little you fly up to, I think, a hundred hours a month. Mm-hmm. There's like a maximum you can, you can work. Right. Um, they probably minimums too, don't you think, or no? I, not that I saw. I'm probably sure minimums to get perks. Cause, probably do. Yeah. But I get the impression that that's actually once you've done it for like six months. Typically when you're hired on for an airline, mm-hmm. you're on a probationary six-month period. On the perks? Yeah, because they don't want just, you know, yeah. number one, they don't know you from anybody. They've known you for seven weeks. They just trained you. Right. They don't you're know like, what you're really like. I want 10 buddy passes and then I'm going to quit my job. Exactly. Well, I saw another thing too. Apparently... Buddy passes are like the worst thing that's ever happened to a flight attendant. Oh, yeah? Because everybody begs for them, but they are like really actually bad passes. Like you're at the the end of standby. And if your friend, if you give the buddy pass to your friend and they start yelling at the gate agent, uh-huh. you get in trouble because it was your buddy right. pass that was being used. You might even have your perks revoked because your friend was a jerk to the gate attendant. And everybody's always asking you for him. So a lot of people just yeah. don't even touch the buddy pass perk. That's like if you're a country club member, <clears throat> you're responsible for the behavior of your guests. Right. Now. Not that I would know. There are other perks. You don't know? You've seen Caddyshack. Yeah, but I've never like belonged to a country club. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are other perks where like family members, immediate family members, mm-hmm. sometimes extended family members, mm-hmm. uh, spouses – um, they get the same perks you do, which very frequently is like you just pay taxes on the ticket right. yeah. and you fly for free. Um, though that's different. Like all flight attendants take advantage yeah. of that. Some of them will t- will hop on over to Europe or something for, you know, a lunch. Hundred bucks. Yeah, maybe if that. In tax. Yeah. Well, buddy passes used to be a lot easier uh, when they didn't oversell all the flights. Yeah. You know, like I, I used to have friends back in the day. I'd get a buddy pass, fly, no problem. Right. But now you're right. It, it's you're in a bad position. Yeah, you no are. What. Do you remember flights where like entire rows would be empty? It was the They'd best. be like, "Well, the flight was scheduled, so we have yeah. to we have to stick to it." <laughs> it's it's strange now. What a day! Uh, so you're going to be working seventy five to eighty five hours a month generally, but like you said, I guess you can't go over that one hundred mark. Uh, and interestingly, too, another thing you get trained for is. Uh, very sadly, human trafficking these days, they will fly uh, kidnapped people mm-hmm. right in front of people's faces. And so flight attendants now are trained to, to spot this kind of activity, which uh, can mean like an adult who doesn't really understand about the final destination. That's a bad sign. Yeah. Uh, or if it's uh, like an adult traveler with a minor and they just 
it definitely looks like a little more than parental behavior going on. Yeah. Like don't get up and go to the bathroom, that kind of thing. Apparently that's how it started. There was a, a man who caught the suspicion of a, a flight attendant named um, Sandra Fiorini. Mm-hmm. She worked for American Airlines. She noticed that like a late 18-year-old teenager age guy who was um, had an infant that still had the umbilical cord attached Ugh. and like a bottle of milk in his pocket and a couple of diapers <sighs> stuffed in his... Man. In his pocket, his other pocket. So, like, this baby was stolen or bought or something. Yeah. And um, she started looking into it and found out that this was actually a big deal and um, teamed up with a woman named Deborah Sigmund who founded Innocence at Risk. And they kind of started this program where now if you're a flight attendant, one of the things you're trained for is to recognize um, human trafficking. And they uh, they actually, a bunch of flight attendants volunteered at the last Super Bowl mm-hmm. to look for human trafficking because apparently They're the Super Bowl is like also the Super Bowl of prostitution right. and human trafficking in the world every mm-hmm. year. So flight attendants went to the Super Bowl and volunteered to kind of like keep tabs on things and call out people they thought were Amazing. human trafficked. You mean the and big the, game? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody wrote in and said, you can call it Super Bowl. Sure. It can't do anything. Yeah, you can't like advertise anything using those words. Right. I don't think. We can't sell our Super Bowl bobbleheads that we no. have a box full of. It's too bad. It was a poor investment. <laughs> uh, should we take our final break here? Yeah. All right, let's do that. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the perks and drawbacks right after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Hey, everybody. If you're building a deck at work and you want to supercharge it, check out Canva presentations. Work docs have been the same for too long, but Canva docs are different. They're visual. They grab readers' attention with images, charts, tables, and videos playable right in the doc. Plus, docs don't have to be just words on a page. You can make your docs pop with Canva docs. That's right. And Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, HR, ops, marketing, and more, Canva presentations can be the solution for you. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Canva presentations might be the most visually impressive presentations you'll ever use. Start with a stunning template, use it as a springboard for your design, adding images, graphics, charts, data visualizations, all from a massive media library. It's super easy to wow any audience with Canva presentations. So start designing today at canva.com, designed for work. That's C-A-N-V-A dot com. All right, let's talk about pay. Baby. You, you don't make a ton of money. I think starting salaries in the mid-30s. Oh, no, no. For a flight attendant? That's No, no. 
starting salary can be like 18. Oh, really? The median in 2012 or 13 or 14 was 37. The median. Yeah. That's like, that's the middle. That's, that's not much, you uh, know? Uh-huh. That's why it's such an attractive, um, a job for people who are just looking for extra money. Right. If you're a parent and you, you have so much control over your schedule once you start to get some seniority. Yeah. Um, it's a great, great way to spend your money. If you're a soap opera star, <laughs> it's a great, lady? great extra job. Did you see that? Yeah. What was her name? Kate Linder, who plays Esther Valentine on The Young and the Restless. Who knew? She's a flight attendant as well. For like 32 years. Yeah. And she's done them both for about the same amount of time. Yeah. And she does it like every week. Yeah. And she says it helps keep her grounded. No pun intended. Yeah. She didn't say the no pun intended part. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, she gets those perks. She gets to fly to Europe for lunch if she wants. Right. And act on soaps. Right. So good for her. And that's not to say that the that median, I mean, obviously that's the the middle amount, but it goes much higher than that. And it all has to do, all perks, all pay, all benefits, all that stuff. The flight attendant profession is all about seniority. Oh, sure. The And there are plenty of flight attendants out there who are career flight attendants and, you know, like Kate, uh, Kate Linder. Uh-huh. She she's been doing it for thirty two years. There's another um, woman named Candy Bruton who is a forty three year veteran of flight attendant. Yeah, um, like there, you can make a, a long happy career out of it now that they've taken that age restriction off. Yeah, twenty one dollars and twenty three cents a few years ago an hour was the was the rate for a first year attendant. Right. So plus twenty dollars an hour. Uh, but here's the thing. And this is something that I bet 95% of human beings don't realize. Uh-huh. When you are sitting on that plane and those doors are open and they're getting you your first class drinks or they're helping you put your bags away yep. and you're complaining because you don't have a pillow mm-hmm. and coach, they're doing that for almost free because the only hours that they get paid for at that rate are flight hours. Yeah. When it says the boarding door is now closed, the clock just started for them. Never knew that. No, I didn't either. Uh, they get something like, depending on the airline, maybe a dollar fifty to a dollar ninety five yeah. an hour for the pre the boarding stuff, the pre while the doors open stuff. I guess is what you call it. Yeah. So, like next time you're sitting on the tarmac and you're delayed for two hours uh-huh. and you're super grumpy, think about that flight attendant who is getting paid almost nothing to be dealing with how grumpy you are. If the boarding doors closed, they would be getting paid, right? No, they said in here if flight delays, they like flight time is the only thing that matters. I thought it was once the door is closed. So if the door is closed and you go out to the runway and you're just sitting there on the runway, they would be getting paid. I thought. That's not what it said. Somebody let us know. Because it said in the article if next time you're on a big flight delay, yeah. think about the fact that they're not making any money. I know. You're, I know and you're that's saying. probably why the airline put it in there because can you imagine how much money – they would have to pay in flight attendants for flight delays? Yeah, but it's not like the flight attendants are just like, I'm off the clock. Don't bother me. Once we get into the air, you can bother me. I you, know. you don't hear that, you know? So they should be paying them for that. Hey, I agree. You know? I uh, think we I'll should be in together and start a social <laughs> movement here. I wonder why you should tip flight attendants, too. Yeah, that's not a thing. They should stand, you know, at the end when they stand there and say, good day, and I uh, hope you enjoyed your flight, mm-hmm. they should be holding a jar. As far as I'm concerned. It's <laughs> shaking it? Yeah. Throw Spare five bucks change. in there on your way out. Bye-bye. I think that'd be great. Uh, you remember Tina Mucklow? 
the oh, hero sure. of the D.B. Cooper heist. Yeah. He tried to give her ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, and she said, no tipping allowed. That's right. What a hero. And quite often, flight attendants are the heroes on many flights, whether it is dealing with literally a terrorist <clears throat> yeah. and trying to manage that situation bravely or, uh, God forbid, some sort of incident in the air with um, – you know, like with the, with the plane itself, but at the very least, those jerks on planes that think they can just talk to people however they want. Yeah, they got to put up with a lot in a very cramped space. Um, very early on in in flight attendant history, I don't know if we said or not. You said that Ellen Church was a registered nurse, but that was par for the course for early flight attendants. They yeah. had to be registered nurses. Makes sense. Um, there was one named Nellie Granger who uh, was a TWA flight attendant. And she um, was on a flight going to Pittsburgh, I believe, in 1936, and it crashed. And she pulled a couple of passengers to safety and um, made it down the mountain to get help and went back up with the rescuers to help um, minister to the, the, the two injured passengers whose lives she saved. And she got 30 cents an hour. She got a trip to the Indies with her aunt. That's nice. By TWA, yeah. I got a couple more things. Sure. There's some crazy stuff that uh, flight attendants have seen. The one that gets me, though, is dead bodies on planes that are purposefully brought onto planes. Not people who die. Yeah. Apparently, Singapore Airlines has what's called a corpse closet on their planes to stow a passenger who might die midair. That's nice. They're in the minority there. I think they might be peculiar with that. But sometimes, because shipping a body is very expensive, it can run into the thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. Some people say, well, it'd be cheaper if I just bought a plane ticket or put my mother in a garment bag mm-hmm. and just smuggled her body on board and took her where she's going to be buried myself. Yeah. That A guy got caught doing that in Miami. Um, there was, in this Mental Floss article, there was um, the person who was interviewed said her roommate... Um, found a mother and a daughter trying to smuggle the dead father onto a flight yeah. just in a wheelchair and said that he had the flu, but he was clearly dead and they had to stop the plane mid-flight. Wow. Maybe he did have the flu. No, he was dead. No, I mean, maybe that's how he died. Oh, maybe he previously had the flu? Yeah. yeah. It could have been like, there's a kernel of truth to what we just <laughs> said. That's it. Oh, and don't order Diet Coke because apparently it takes the longest to stop fizzing. On a trolley. Okay? That's science. Uh, if you want to know more about flight attendants, just chat up a flight attendant. I'm sure they'd love to tell you some great stories. And in the meantime, uh, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this PSA about uh, the flu. Because we had someone, Courtney Harmouth, mm-hmm. who's a Scani, who says this. Um, hey, guys, want to basically give you a PSA about how dangerous the flu can be. In 2012, I was a healthy high school freshman who was suddenly stricken with a horrible digestive distress, a chills, fever, coughing. After a week or so, my parents took me to the GP, uh, and I was told to go to the hospital for observation and get an IV. Uh, what was supposed to be one night turned into a month. I'd contracted the swine flu. Oh, my gosh. That first night, my vitals went crazy, and I ended up having to be kept in my local hospital for two weeks. During my stay, I developed pneumonia. As a complication, soon after that, fluid began to fill my lungs, and I had to be helicoptered to a larger hospital in Madison. Um, she said being in the helicopter was pretty sweet, though. Oh, really? Yeah. 
even though, you know. I would think being <laughs> sick in a helicopter would not be comfortable. I think she's a bright side person. Okay. Uh, for about 20 minutes, I was only taking in about 30% oxygen. My parents were told I could have brain damage or may even die. Upon my arrival to the larger hospital, I was immediately put into a medically induced coma for 11 days. Oh, my God. I was finally taken out of my coma. I had atrophied and weighed a measly 95 pounds. At 12 years old, I had to relearn how to walk, write, and use basic motor skills. I am extremely lucky that I am completely recovered from the ordeal, did not suffer any long-term health effects, and now at 23 years old, I have thankfully not had the flu since. I tell this to everyone to say, please get vaccinated against the flu. Uh, the flu vaccine doesn't just protect you, but also your kids, parents, friends, and coworkers. Really love your show. I want to thank you for doing such a great job uh, about important and sometimes hilarious topics. That is our Wisconsinite fan, Courtney Harmouth. Thanks a lot, Courtney. Glad you made it through that one. That was was pretty scary. Yeah, we said the flu could be dangerous. There you have it. Courtney just proved it, everybody. Uh, If you want to tell us a great story that is harrowing and amazing, we want to hear it. Or if you have a good flight attendant story, that's a good one, too. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast or at Josh Um Clark. You can hang out with us on Facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant or slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.